This is the Catholic Daily Journal for Wednesday, April the 10th, 2019. In 1887, it was Easter Sunday, and Pope Leo XIII authorized the establishment of a new pontifical university in the United States that was creatively named the Catholic University of America. As with so much of the infrastructure of American Catholicism, it all began in Baltimore. The Second Council of Baltimore had met in 1866, and the discussion had been lively about the need for a national Catholic university. Now, let's be clear, the bishops don't need the Pope's permission to establish colleges or universities. A pontifical college is special in that it is licensed by the Pope to confer pontifical degrees, which you have to have to do certain kinds of official work for the church. Think of these as something like the Bar Association for Lawyers or a medical licensure board for physicians. If you want to make official translations or do specific kinds of theological writing, you need a pontifical degree. And so it was in 1866 that the U.S. bishops were discussing the National College, and it was in 1885 at the Third Council of Baltimore that they chose the name Catholic University of America and asked the Pope for his official authorization. It took nearly two years for all the paperwork to be finished, and on March the 7th, 1889, the encyclical Magi Nobis officially granted the charter for a pontifical faculty and establishing as its mission the instruction of Catholicism and human nature. A few decades later and a few hours north today in 1916, the Professional Golfers Association of America was established, this time in New York City. And instead of a decade of pontifical paperwork, the PGA went from a conversation over lunch at Wanamaker's on 9th and Broadway to full inception in less than three months. Rodman Wanamaker had called together about 60 business professionals and serious golfers and said that the time had come for golfing to be a professional sport and to have a professional organization in the U.S. The PGA began with 78 members, 35 charter members, 28 of whom were born outside the U.S., and seven sections. Nowadays, there are just shy of 30,000 members, both men and women, across 14 districts and 41 sections. Today in 1925, F. Scott Fitzgerald published The Great Gatsby. At the center of the story is the enigmatic millionaire Jay Gatsby, who lives a life of decadence, meant to incarnate and symbolize the Roaring Twenties. Gatsby's story is ultimately a tragedy and a cautionary tale, written from Fitzgerald's own experience. Sadly, Gatsby didn't sell very well, and reviewers weren't enthusiastic to have their generation called on the carpet. One could probably compare the story to many films of today, which are critical of millennials or Gen Xers. Fitzgerald died in 1940, believing himself to be a failure. But in the years after his death, the end of World War II saw a revival in his work, and it found its way into school curricula. Nowadays, The Great Gatsby is believed by many to be the great American novel. Finally today, way back in 1710 in Great Britain, the Statute of Anne came into force. It was the first law regulating copyright. 
It made the crown the arbiter of legal licensure of what we now call intellectual property. Before then, the printing guilds were tasked with deciding who had the right to publish what. And this didn't go over very well with really anyone. The printing guilds were angry and felt disenfranchised. The writers didn't really want the crown to decide who could publish what. And across the sea, the freedom-centric colonials were more and more inclined to print whatever they pleased, thank you very much. The Statute of Anne in conjunction with the Stamp Act would play a major role in the increasing calls for a free press and the right of citizens to publish any and everything they wished. The Catholic Daily Journal is supported by listeners like you. For more information, visit catholicunderground.com. Until next time, be on the lookout for the Lord at work in your life.